0: The big innovation here is that Steve hid the controls and then built custom ones on top of the player using CSS. The project's goal was still ultimately like give you an easy way to build custom players that are styled the way you want. I just got in my mind
1: that I really wanted to build a video player with HTML and CSS. I think if I had
0: fully understood the complexity we were getting into, I would have never started the project. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Matt, the organizer of the SF Video Technology Meetup and the DeMuxed Conference. And I'm Steve, creator of VideoJS, the open source
2: video player. And I'm Phil, the director of media technologies engineering at Brightcove, previously building BBC iPlayer in London. And you're listening to DeMuxed, a podcast for
0: and by engineers working with video. DeMuxed is brought to you by HeavyBit, a program
1: dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit
2: heavybit.com. We're always looking for topics, so if you have any suggestions or just want to tell us how wrong we are, you can find us on Twitter at Demuxed. Hey everybody!
0: Welcome to Demuxed. This is our first podcast of 2017. So sorry for the hiatus there, but it took us you know solid four months to recuperate from (laughs) Demuxed the conference last year. So which went well. Thanks for asking. So before we jump into kind of the larger discussion around the excitement on VideoJS 6.0 and all that sort of stuff. Wanted to talk a little bit about Demux 2017, which is already officially happening. We are planning so far ahead, you guys. So it's going to be October 5th at Broadway Studios in San Francisco again. So if you're available, you should come. So we haven't opened up like the call for call for speakers yet or anything like that, but expect that like mid spring probably.
3: So wait, Matt, is Broadway Studios much bigger than the Crunchyroll space that we had for last year?
0: Yeah, we're aiming for like two hundred and fifty people or so. So it it is a little bit bigger. So we were we were kind of packed at the gills last year. Yeah. Uh, So this gives us a little bit more breathing room. Now there's like actually places to hang out that aren't in the main speaker area. If you want to like, (laughs) uh, uh, but you know, huge. There's enough space to like hold your
2: food while you're eating it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes, yes. There's enough space to like actually go
2: walk through a lunch line and everything. So hang on, you didn't enjoy that last year? That was a highlight I, for me. I, really. you,
3: you get to rub elbows with people, like literally. So <laughs> yes. yeah, it was great. Yeah. This Demux is too popular. That's the problem.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a big deal. And and we're a bunch of schlubs. So so this year again, October fifth. Start, put it on your calendar, plan to come out. So today we've got two of the core contributors from the VideoJS project. If you're not familiar, it's an open source HTML5 player that's a fairly popular project on the interwebs used by a bunch of big companies. And if you're not, if, I think we've talked about this in the past, but if you're not familiar, Steve started this thing probably, what, six years ago, Steve? Almost seven, yeah. Back when he was left alone in a house in the mountains when they were working on Zencoder. Mm-hmm. So, lonely.
3: I was checking the commit log, and
0: it looks like Brandon Arbini actually gets the first commit.
3: <laughs> so I don't know if yeah. you get that. Yeah, I know he was in there with like create repo,
1: and uh... I know that that irks me every time okay. I see it now. But at the
0: time, I did not know how to use GitHub, so,
4: <laughs>
0: <no>. <laughs> so every Video JS user out there, you heard it here first. You're in good hands. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, Steve started this thing off back when HTML5 video was honestly a terrible idea to try to use in production. And then I started helping him on the project when I was at Brightcove as well. And then we started working with Gary and David who have kind of taken the mantle of really like the larger project direction these days and have done an awesome job of kind of shepherding things. So why don't you guys tell a little bit about yourself?
4: You want to go, Gary? Sure, I'm Gary. I started on VideoJS mostly just answering issues at first. I was kind of avoiding writing code and on the project itself initially. And also when I was answering questions, I was mostly like, I know this part for sure, so i can going to answer it. And as I was answering more questions, I started looking more into questions that I wasn't sure of the answers to and investigating them and then answering. And so I grew my knowledge and I was more comfortable making changes to VideoJS and now making huge, sweeping changes to the codebase, base. <laughs> <laughs> For
3: better or worse. Yeah. Uh, so I think my introduction to the project is actually kind of similar to a lot of how uh, a lot of other people come to it, which is at of, we had a Flash-based video player that was very successful, but we knew that that wasn't the future, and we were thinking about replacing it, and we said, well, should we rewrite it from scratch, or should we look at, you know, one of the open source projects that are out there? And Steve, at that point in time, had started working at Breakout 2, and it seemed like a really natural thing to do is use the open source video player that was already hugely successful, and... Uh, Base our efforts on that, so that's kind of how I got involved in video. jazz. nice.
0: That second voice was David LaPalmento, by the way. Oh yeah, sorry, I should have introduced
3: myself. (laughs) Hi.
0: (laughs) So. Phil, have you actually committed code, or have you just written Sass and stuff like that?
2: Sass JS and raised a bunch of issues. Maybe. Yeah. It's basically committing. I still, I'm still on Gary's side, right? Raise, raise issues. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I
0: expect everybody that's listening to this at least knows what HTML5 video is, but I guess it makes sense. I think for Steve to kind of give us a little bit of insight into what the world of online video is like when you first. When when Brandon, rather, made his
1: initial commit, (laughs) Brandon initially
0: committed to the project. Yeah, well, yeah. Let's see. So,
1: started building the project as mentioned back in back in 2010. We were um, going through the Y Combinator program, so the startup accelerator, a company ZenCoder. Yeah, we'd rented this house in the middle of the woods, you know, in the hills behind Los Gatos, because what you do with Y Combinator is you go move close to Mountain View, so you can go through the program. And so we rented this house for three or four months. And my co-founders, who both had families in the area, would go home on the weekends and leave me in the house <laughs> in the middle of the woods. Sounds so much sadder, like yeah.
2: This <laughs> is stuff a really bad so, horror yeah, film, so- actually.
1: <laughs> yeah, wander on the house by myself. But yeah, so one weekend, just uh, you know, we had been talking about you know, all all of our customers at the time for ZenCoder were using Flash players, and people had started to just barely start hacking around with HTML5 video. I mean, this was beginning in 2010 and browser started releasing HTML5 video like late 2009 so it was super early like 20% of users actually supported HTML5 video but i just got in my mind that that i really wanted to build a video player with html and css as opposed to hacking around in flash
3: everybody did
1: yeah yeah i mean it was it was like a really amazing idea to like oh you know like we're, we're doing all this web technology stuff and then once once you jump into Flash, you have to learn this like completely other language and, and way of building things. So it was a really cool idea to be able to hack around with that. So I took one of these lonely weekends and, um, <laughs> and just started building controls for the HTML5 video player. And uh, you know, it was one of those projects where you just like the time just kind of flies by because you're just drilling through it, and days just kind of bleed into each other. It was, it was. I remember it like vividly, and it was, it was an awesome weekend. Out of that, you know, I built all the controls and made like a tutorial, like I released a tutorial in my blog, like here's how you build controls for HTML5 video. And then that got some traction, and then decided to kind of spin it into a library that somebody could just drop into a page. I remember when that first got its big piece of publicity. So I built a website for it, and don't know if you guys remember. Do you, do you guys remember Daring Fireball?
4: Yeah, yeah, that's still yeah. A thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
1: that's like still a big thing. thing see.
0: <laughs> most of the blog now is just <laughs> hating on uh, hating on Apple haters. I think is really what the, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, it's an uphill battle for him.
1: Yeah. So yeah, so Daring Fireball, you know, just had a three line blog post that was, "Hey, check out this new HTML5 video player. It already supports WebM." This was the tagline, which which was kind of funny because like it supported WebM because browser supported WebM. it was like, I didn't have to yeah. do anything. <laughs> but he was like, oh my gosh, this thing already <laughs> supports WebM. I was like, yeah, okay, well I'll take it.
3: I guess at that point in time he wasn't using Safari to browse the internet. No, yeah,
1: I would guess not. There's no
3: way that works. Yeah. yeah,
1: So yeah, I remember that weekend after he talked about it. The website got, um, I think it got like 20,000 visitors that weekend, which like totally blew my mind, right? Like twenty. I started like envisioning, like, oh, that's like half a stadium's worth of people, and like <laughs> trying to envision what that looked like. And I was like, oh my gosh, people actually like are using this, they're at least like it enough to go check it out. Um, at this point,
0: he's alone in the house pretending he's in front of this audience.
4: <laughs>
0: which is funny because like today
1: we get like, 20,000 visitors to the website every single day. Yeah. So but yeah, so that that gave us a lot of motivation to kind of like put more effort behind it and just kind of keep building it out. Yeah, I think maybe a year later we we built kind of a flash shim for it. Yep. Like up until that point like so when I first first built it you could like fall back to flow player, I think was the the player that we used like so if it's sportage I, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so if a html 5 video, it would, it would use that and then otherwise it would just fully fall over to flow player and then like a year later or maybe it was a couple years later we built a a flash shim that was just like the super lightweight which still use it today super lightweight flash player that just kind of mimics the video element no controls in it or anything we just overlay the html controls on top of that steve do you know
3: is anybody else doing that still like I, i know we are now actually like heading towards retirement on that little piece of flash but i feel like I don't know if any other video player even now adopted that strategy and I always thought that was one of the coolest things about videojs.
1: I think every player has now, honestly. Like, are they doing that? Yeah. Oh, okay.
3: I really felt like most of the alternatives, well, I
1: guess you're right. It's relatively recently if I if I'm getting this right. I could be totally wrong, but I think um yeah. full player completely rebuilt their thing and I think it's it's built the same way and I know JW player JW player at least now supports like CSS styling, which I assume means that they're doing this, but I can't I can't say for sure.
0: Well, it took a while, let's put it that way. For listeners that aren't familiar with what exactly we're talking about, about the control bit here, when Flash players ruled the world, trying to modify and style them was... Difficult to say the least. There are things like Action Script. Yeah, you you were either directly in action strip Load custom Swifts. Custom Swifts. Or like, you know, if you were lucky you were using something like Brightcove that had uh BEML. BEML, that's it. Brightcove.
3: Uh, I mean Brightcove if you want to say that's lucky. Well wow. <laughs> it was better than writing action script.
0: Yeah. Building a building a player that looked the way you wanted it for your website was impossible for like the layman and a giant pain in the ass for even really technical people. So the big innovation here is that Steve hid the controls and then built custom ones on top of the player using CSS. JavaScript events just were were the controls now. Mm-hmm. The innovation there was that the Flash player didn't have controls, it just sat under these HTML and CSS. HTML elements styled with CSS, which sounds, sounds like a no-brainer in 2017, but I remember trying to style Flash players. Uh,
4: and the HTML full-screen API made it so that you could actually take the player full screen and actually have right. the controls. Because <laughs> oh, yeah, previously a, yeah. you could only full screen with Flash, mm-hmm. and if you weren't doing the controls in Flash, and full screen, you lost controls.
1: There definitely was a lot of downsides, maybe not a lot, but there were some significant downsides to that approach. Like, you couldn't go to full screen originally. You could do like full window, but you couldn't do full screen. There's also like some performance issues of like overlaying HTML on top of the Flash player, especially when you talk about, oh, I forget what it's called, but there's some like mode in Flash when you're playing video
3: W mode.
1: W mode?
3: W mode. A lot of the heartache internally was over using, I think it's, it's there's, Stage Opaque, video. transparent, and okay. whatever, and you couldn't get hardware decoding unless you were not using the variant of Flash which lets you overlay HTML on top mm-hmm. of it. Yeah,
1: there was good reasons why people would decide not to do this, but I was just incredibly bullish on <laughs> HTML5 video. Yeah. Like I, I wanted it to be the future, so I was just gonna like make it today and then figure out how to deal with the problems after that. So
3: yeah. Well, I guess it worked.
1: <laughs> it it came around. Yeah, back then it was like twenty percent of users actually supported it. So I would go and talk at um like streaming media, east and west, those conferences, and like, you know, I would get pushback on like, uh, you know, HTML5 video is never gonna be the thing, right? Like, why why do we need this? Flash already does everything we needed to, like it's fine, stop messing with our <laughs> pipeline. You know, like there was a lot of pushback on HTML5 video in the day, and so
3: Yeah, those people might still feel that way, but yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah, (laughs) absolutely.
2: When did you start at the BBC? I mean, 2012, 2011? Oh, somewhere around there, yeah. BBC was a flash shop for a very long time. The BBC only switched to a HTML5 default player less than six months ago, I think, Mm. for desktop. Uh, Because they never did a HLS polyfill. So they went kind of from um, they went via HDS. Well, they went via HDS. So had kind of that little bit of extra flash buy-in. Mm. That one that I think we all kind of bypassed a little bit, real world.
3: Hopefully, so <laughs> I think it was interesting because it was you know the player was one thing and getting it to look good in your web page, etc. But it was also that was like a period where there was all this infrastructure around serving flash video mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and and the html world didn't have adaptive streaming yep. and you had fms servers and like hugely popular you know deployments of this massive
2: fms server infrastructure and people didn't want to give that up mm-hmm. It did work, so. I mean, the CDNs had spent you know years building out these massive RTMP yeah. streaming farms, right? But then, oh, suddenly no one wants that anymore, right? Well, and it was it was awesome lock in for them, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> so instead you
3: were switching you were switching to a world where like you didn't need to have this incredibly proprietary CDN. You can have an HTTP server and just serve up files. And like, actually, I would say like the. Emergence of like Fastly and because mm. you know, I think CloudFront actually does have FMS servers, but a lot of these like new CDNs I think are a result of that yeah. change.
2: They just want to be a HTTP chunk server, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, I think it's
3: worked out for everybody, but it was like really painful to transition.
0: I mean, so like I would say the project's goal in you know 2010 was to like show people that like there was a potential other cool option, right? I mean, it was kind of like a it was a fun like hack, honestly, and then like. 2012, 2013. It's like a viable, like a viable option for people to assume that they're going to be playing HTML5 everywhere. Well, at that, at that
1: point, people were, had to make a choice because you had to use HTML5 video on mobile. So it's right. like you were either like, you know, falling back to HTML5 or you were falling back to Flash. One of those two options,
0: right? Right. So, but I mean the project's goal was still ultimately like give you an easy way to build custom players that are styled the way you want and will work everywhere because eventually it'll ultimately fall back to Flash with like a common API that that works across browsers, which like is still obviously the goal, but like it feels like it's shifted in the modern world where where the flash fallback, as we'll talk about later, is is becoming less important. So I'd be curious to hear from you two. What what would you say is like what is the project's goal in 2017? Like, If you were talking to people on the issue tracker today, what would you say is like the most important need for VideoJS now?
4: I think probably the biggest thing for VideoJS is to have a consistent API across all browsers with a consistent look that also allows for you to easily plug in into uh, the player so that you can support multiple other formats and have extra functionality that you can write and have it so that when you write plugins, you don't need to, okay, writing this plugin, let me test in Chrome and do Chrome-specific stuff. And then when I'm in Safari, do Safari-specific stuff. You can just use the VideoJS API and it'll be available across platforms.
3: I I definitely agree with that. I think also... The challenges have kind of like changed over time, so yeah, it's not like looking like a video element where flashes anymore. It is about doing more interesting things and supporting more interesting video. So, like the emergence of media source extensions and like the ability to do adaptive streaming formats in HTML is another area where I think like VideoJS is trying to offer the right set of primitives to make that possible and. Put it together in a way that you don't necessarily have to know about how to write an adaptive bitrate switching algorithm to play a video.
2: (laughs) I think that's really interesting, actually, isn't it? Because, you know we kind of consider what the hard bits are right now and one of the kind of visions of like the video elements and if you look at the video element from an apple perspective right i've got a video element i can chuck a, a hls manifest url into that video element and i get adaptive streaming i get resizing i get all all these toys and bells and whistles and I think when we look at, you know, video JS, we have to think, well, okay, let's let's make that experience but with mm-hmm. everything, right? Consistent across all the browsers and everything.
3: Yeah, no, I think that's a really great like summary of like where yeah. the challenge is moving with the video element. Yeah, no,
0: I would even say like to add to that. The last episode of the podcast, we had Owen, aka Snowen, on GitHub, come in and talk to us about accessibility and the challenges around accessibility, why we should be doing it, you know, and so on and so forth around accessibility. Last last episode, but I think that's also a big deal for modern video JS. Is like that's that's been the the biggest leaps and bounds that I think I've seen. In the project in the last year or so, it feels like have been around these massive improvements in terms of accessibility, like the the caption settings box thingy, the fact that captions actually like work on iOS now. You know, things like that are I feel like a, a big gain.
3: I, so that's so funny because that's one of those things which is
0: supposedly baked in,
3: but like I feel like we still regularly get a bunch of questions about, hey, how come we're not using like, native text tracks on this platform versus that platform? We, in VideoJS, we like, emulate them through JavaScript a lot of the time. And uh, it's really funny, but as soon as you like scratch the surface on those accessibility features, they're really busted <laughs> <laughs> all over the place. Yeah. And uh, so you know, it would be great to use native stuff, but I mean, I guess I'm trying to think of a good example of like problems.
4: Well, but, for example, yeah. uh, for a long time, uh, we could probably revisit now, but for a long time we couldn't use native text tracks in Firefox. Because the way that VideoJS worked is it takes the video element and then wraps it in a div, which is where we put the controls. But to do that, we actually removed the video element from the DOM and then put it into that new div that we create. But Firefox had a bug that might be fixed now in like Firefox 50, I think, where text tracks that were loaded in the DOM originally were canceled from loading when the video element was removed, but then never told to reload when the video element was put back in. And so writing workarounds to support native text tracks in Firefox for that would be significantly more work than just saying, well, we're just not going to use native text tracks until Firefox fixes this bug
3: yeah and it also had the nice advantage of like you can you could sort of style the emulated text tracks, which I think is something that some people want it for like compliance reasons, but other people would just like you know their font to not be just pure white on pure black <laughs> for their <laughs> captions, and there's like you know nascent c s s selectors to do it, but they don't work all across the board and yeah. they don't always work very well and so or they know, don't work like. You expect them to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Trying to write CSS that works cross browser
4: that does what you want for text tracks is like unbelievably difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we actually found bugs relating to that. For example, I remember seeing on Safari, if you were to select the queue, there's the sudo of selector colon colon queue, which is supposed to select the queue. But if you add a margin bottom to that, because you want to like lift the captions up, Safari is really weird where it applies it, like each frame that it loads, loads, the player. So so basically each time that new captions are refreshed, the caption would go down and then back up. Because you basically get unapplied, captions are written out, and then it get applied and they'll move up. And then sometimes oh God. it gets applied twice, so it ends up being like, say it was down 1 EM, it'll end up being 2 EM from the bottom. So, it's bizarre. This is, uh, this is the last caption bug I'm going to tell
3: you So we were, we were testing 608 captions in Edge because Edge has native support for HLS and it supposedly has 608 support. And then 608 captions, if you're not familiar with them, are like the, the, the captions that are actually embedded inside of the video files. They actually kind of like are interspersed among frame data in video files. And... Uh, It turns out that Edge does, in a sense, support 608 captions. But what it does is, 608 captions have a frame number on them, it will display them for that frame and that frame only, and then get rid of them. So, so every caption shows up for 1 24th of a second, which isn't enough time to read them, just in case you were curious. I, it was so, I guess, I'm guess. i sorry, Edge people. I'm sure that that was like, not a fully baked feature and yeah. it just got out of the wild, and,
4: but so, it was crazy. It's captions with speed readers. Yeah, yeah, if
3: you're really
4: fast, they're great. But, but tying it back to Vidi.js, this is the thing that we spent so much time on—is like finding these bugs and then figure out, well, can we work around them so that users of VideoJS don't need to deal with this ever again? Yeah. And uh, I think for textrex we have a pretty good solution at this point.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think if I had fully understood the complexity we were getting into, I would have never started the project. <laughs> <laughs>
4: They said building a video player was easy. Yeah. yeah so
0: that's I think that's I, I don't know me as a user I definitely want to fix all those text tracks bugs myself so I would never use a project but I can see what other people would want to. But, um, yeah. So as we you know move into 2017 where we're talking about a new a new era in VideoJS now we're moving on to 6.0. Uh, I see like 5.0 the big release was like. We had a new skin. Es6 new man. New We we, were,
2: we switched over to Es6. Yeah. When did we move play button? We moved. the, we move yes. the play button.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> the big, oh, <laughs> big play button debacle that of 20, the, yeah.
3: 2016. Yeah. The greatest that controversy. That was version 15. four
0: that we, we moved the play button. No. Oh yeah yeah What's yeah. It? And then we gave did up we? in
3: version five. Is no. that what happened?
4: No, no, we
0: moved it in version five. It was version four too. Version with, four was still in no, the No, center. version four was in the upper left. Version five, I just doubled down on it and started getting super salty on uh <laughs> on Twitter and issues. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like mostly I, I feel like four or five was mostly a cleanup of the code. We, you know, other than the skin, like most of the changes were Behind the scenes, around video, like Mm -hmm. around the build process and using ES5 or using ES6, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I'm curious, what should people be expecting in 6.0? So, the big thing that I've seen recently is more accessibility improvements. You guys want to tell us a little about that?
4: Yeah. So, for past couple weeks and basically for a long time, I've been working with Owen to improve the accessibility. And so, what that means is that visually, it should stay the same or better for people who can see the player and use the mouse, and they don't have any problems. Next level down is people who like to use the keyboard. So like if you just tab over through uh, the buttons, that it all should make sense, it should all work. But then the probably the most poor group is uh, users who use assistive technology like screen readers. So screen readers, it's very important to support them because they want to use our players and there's no reason not to support them. And it's actually really easy. So we sh- had we known ahead of time, we probably should have done that. But it's becoming more of a thing now. The two big things, I think, that we did, uh, we actually had a blog post on so the video just blog about it, is the outlines. In video just five in the skin, we decided to turn off outlines and had this kind of glow Around the uh, icons, (laughs) who did did that, Matt? (laughs) Who would build such a skin? And while that looks nice for people who have like low vision or something, the focus on the buttons doesn't necessarily provide enough contrast, so you can't necessarily tell which button is currently focused. So if you're just tabbing through, it's like, well, where am I looking at? I can't tell. Mm-hmm. Um, so we brought back the outlines. The other thing is we changed around how the volume menu button worked. So we had this thing where the volume menu, the default volume control was a mute toggle that when you clicked on it, muted or unmuted the player. When you hovered over it, it opened up a volume slider. But. Because of the way that it was written, where it was basically in the DOM, it was a button with a slider as a child of the button, screen reader technologies couldn't really interact with both. You could basically only make it interact with one or the other, and so it was not a very good experience. Even if you were just tabbing through, it wouldn't work quite right either. So we got rid of that, and instead we just have basically two separate buttons a button and a slider control that are siblings of each other in the DOM. And we just use CSS to make it look like it used to. So for visual users, it looks the same. That's cool. Yeah, and we just spent a lot of time just fixing all the accessibility issues that we have. I don't know if we're necessarily WCAG AA compliant, but we're definitely getting there.
1: The other one that I'm really interested to hear more about is uh, the new middleware component because i remember like in, in 5 5 might have been when we introduced like the source handler concept which that that is steve okay. you're right i think so, so yeah. yeah
3: yeah that's definitely when we did the so
1: source handlers was was this mechanism to kind of allow us to support uh, adaptive formats like hls and dash using a lot of the same code between the flash player and the javascript player and as I understand it, middleware is kind of like maybe a better approach to this, but I should let you guys kind of explain it because I don't fully grasp it myself.
4: Right. Middleware were kind of thought up because we had some plugins that wanted to take some kind of source. For example, if you had a API for a catalog that you had video IDs associated with video and they can make a request to the API that would give you back an actual URL. And depending on the browser or what you give the API, it could give you back HLS or Dash or just that before or maybe an FLV even. And one thing that we were seeing is that with text and source handlers, you couldn't really have a source handler that used another source handler. So you wanted to use the service and you wanted... So what we had currently implemented is a plugin- so basically you'd initialize the player with either a all source or something like that and then you'd make the request and the plugin basically make the request for you and the reason for that is because we wanted to have video just go through the source selection algorithm and the source handler algorithm and be able to pick so if we got a dash source it'll choose dash or if we got HLS it choose the HLS but the other functionality that this plugin had, was more of the stuff that source handlers and techs themselves were doing. And so this plugin really needs to be a tech or a source handler itself, but there was no good way of having it delegate to any other tech or source handler. And so the idea of middleware was kind of, let's come in between the way that VideoJS plays back the video and the player object, which is where user outside users of VideoJS interact with a player, that's where like the play and pause and all that and so it goes through and say you set a source, the source could now be that ID that the API expects and it'll go through the middleware and the middleware run and do whatever it needs to and then it'll go through any of the other techs the correct tech will get loaded and I guess backpedaling a bit the way the videos works, we sort of went over it with the fact that it has the flash fallback. It has a player, which is the main player and text, which are either like HTML5 or flash, or I guess there's the OGV tech, OGVJS, hmm. which is Wikipedia is working on. Mm-hmm. But basically it's a way of, of abstracting over the actual way that the video gets played in the browser, whether it's in flash mm-hmm. or the media element. Or OGVGS with a canvas or anything like that.
1: It's kind of like an a- API translator. So yeah, takes like the API flash or the API of the video element and makes them look the same.
4: And so the middleware kind of sits in between. And the API of it, the reason why it's called middleware is because we basically have a routing table. But the routing table is, in this case, unlike in Express, which is actually URLs, the routing tables are around. The mime types of the video. So, for example, you could have an MP4 middleware that runs whenever you load an MP4, or you can have, say, like this plugin is called Foo. You could have a type of, say, like video slash Foo. The source is the ID, and it gets invoked when you give that source to video GS. It goes, gets its source, which is say an MP4, then it'll give it hey, actually, what I want you to actually play is an MP4. And then it'll go through and see, hey, do I have any MP4 middleware? If yes, it'll go through, and then eventually it'll get final source, and then it'll do the normal text selection.
1: That's pretty cool. So basically, you have somebody can can set a source, and somewhere between setting that source and that source getting to the video element, basically anybody can develop this middleware that will do a bunch of smart stuff in between and it's completely open ended, whereas like previously, source handlers were a little bit more prescriptive. You had to like specifically say like this is going to be for HLS or Dash.
3: Like I see middleware as kind of like one of the problems that I think we constantly have with video playback is whenever you're trying to do something interesting, you end up in a situation where you have like you know an analytics system that wants to talk to the video element. You might have advertisements that want to talk to the video element. You have like some player code that wants to abstract over problems with the video element. You have you know, an adaptive streaming library that's letting you play Dash or HLS, and figuring out the right ways for all those things to talk to the video element without breaking each other left and right is like a huge problem. And so source handlers were our solution for allowing adaptive streaming libraries to kind of like hook into video.js and talk directly to the video element. Middleware is kind of one layer above that, and it lets anybody inject some logic and do some transformation on. You know, almost
4: whatever they want, right? Yeah. Uh, currently, in what we have in master, it's a bit limited. But one middleware that I wrote recently is a playback rate changer. So basically, when you load the middleware, it gets bound to any video you play, and it intercepts the set current time and get current time, and also the duration methods between the tech and the player. And if you set your playback rate to, say, 2.0 to 2x it'll actually divide the current time and duration in two. Hmm. So that means that if you have a 20-minute video, this middleware makes it so that your controls, yes. your UI would say that you're actually going to be watching for 10 minutes of real time, which is nice. Yeah, it's kind of neat. I guess another like real-world example is a lot of
3: people are experimenting with ad insertion into video streams. So as an alternative to client-side ad insertion, you may actually just... Similar to broadcast television, shove your ads into the video content itself, and in that case, you have trouble building controls that look like what people would normally call video player controls. Most of the time, you don't actually see the ad duration in the progress bar if you're looking at a, a video player that has ads. You just see like a little marker or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. If you're looking at it on YouTube. That's what you'd see. And so it's not terrible to have like, you know, here's the span of the ad, you can actually see the full duration, it's different than what people expect, and you know, meeting people's expectations for UX is an important thing, so middleware would let you actually transform the timeline in a way that you could make those ad breaks look like markers, and then when you get into the ad, you can expand it, when you come out of the ad, you can pull it back,
4: that sort of thing. Whereas right now, a lot of ad libraries just create a separate control bar.
3: Yeah, and that's, then swap between them. That's which, what we've done so far for a lot of ad integrations with VideoJS, and that doesn't feel as smooth as it should. You know,
4: mm-hmm.
3: it looks reasonable, but it's it's probably more moving parts than you wish you had for something
2: like this. Yeah. So I still have this burning desire to build my own video streaming protocol. This burning <laughs> desire. It's been <laughs> <laughs> one of these things we talk about it every time. MPAG Sash, go look it up. Uh, uh, <laughs> Phil, this is this is going to be the death of you. It's 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 definitely a reason they don't have me at MPEG meetings anymore. Yeah, so you know, you should have
3: started that rival conglomerate. That was
2: the problem. So we've got uh, source handlers, right? We've got the new uh, middleware stuff. We've got uh, advanced plugins as well in Video 6 right? So, which of those bits do I need to build when I eventually build my whole own protocol? Like I've written a 30 line sash player that literally just is media source extensions. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but what bits do I need to build to have a videojs sash?
3: You know, so I work a lot on uh, videojs contrib hls, which is like a, it's a also adaptive streaming library. And I think um, it, this, is, this is a very subjective question, but I think where the direction we're heading is source handlers give you access to the video element directly, and I think. Building your adaptive streaming logic as like a kind of like video element, sectioning that off and working mm-hmm. directly with video element is a good starting point. Like it's mm-hmm. a nice abstraction, right? So you have the video element, you have your MSE stuff, and you keep that together, and then you can use source handlers and middleware to attach it to VideoJS so that it then like feeds back into the rest of the ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. And that's one area where I think source handlers did kind of do a good job is that they allow you to then kind of make the couple tweaks that you need to, to expose your own magical custom protocol, just like an MP4 shows up, right? I think middleware actually offers some intriguing possibilities beyond that, but you can mm-hmm. get 90, every we can get everything done that we've thought of so far with source handlers, and we'll see what cool stuff we come up with, middleware.
0: Nice. So uh, something that we've, we've talked about throughout this podcast so far has been kind of, one of the big use cases early on when HTML5 video support was pretty low was Flash being able to fall back and work in older browsers like IE8. And so it's, I think it's going to be a big shock to people that it's it's moving out of core. Yeah. So that's, that's huge news, by the way, to anybody that did not know that. Flash is no longer going to be baked into the core video JS player. So what exactly does that mean and why? Is what we're going to see a lot on the issue tracker very soon. Yeah, I
3: think, well, so what does it mean? Really, honestly, it doesn't mean too much if you want Flash. So, like, it's now in a separate project, but it's like a script that you add. Yeah, you just add it, like, include video.js, include video.js Flash, and it continues working. Right. So, if you're in that camp, which. Oh, God, I hope you're not. You, you can uh, you can do it, and it's not that bad. We're in that camp.
2: Oh,
4: stop, don't about it. But,
3: but if, if you are one of the many happy people who don't need Flash in their lives anymore, you don't have to do anything to get rid of it. It's gone. So if you just start using VideoJS 6, you don't yeah. have Flash. There's nothing there.
4: All the skeletons have been removed from the closet. I think the focus of Flash has been waning a lot in recent years, particularly with Apple's influence and mobile devices, uh-huh. yeah, and with now with well now Google,
0: Google yeah. too,
4: yeah, they're really pushing it. Well, but where, growth. where? Okay, so yes, they've
3: written some blog posts, and I believe that the word on the street was one percent of users had Flash turn to click to play. Is that still? I thought they I think heard. they changed it.
4: Fifty six, I think, has a hundred percent. Oh really? Yeah. yeah.
2: I I have two clicks to play now. Two clicks to I play. I have my thing I used to have, and now I have to click through the extra thing as well. So <laughs> wonderful.
3: Yeah, wonderful. Okay.
2: really yeah. annoying.
3: I, I guess you're right. So what's funny is I don't encounter Flash enough these days to actually know the status on that. But
4: <laughs> and it's also weird yeah. because they still have their intelligent thing where it's like, oh yeah, if Flash is important, whatever that means, it'll. Yeah, magically through. I always thought that was a good idea. Like they've been like intentionally
3: ambiguous, which leaves everyone who uses Flash yeah. in like this horribly nervous state, which it's is really, probably good.
4: right? It's really <laughs> weird because I've seen uh, IMA ads where the page loads, you see the little gear that says that "click to enable" yeah. icons, but then a split second later, the Flash ad starts playing. Which I I guess that is exactly oh. Chrome's detection. It's like. This looks like an ad that might be important. We should probably Gosh, take thanks. it. Yeah, <laughs> the most
2: important even. Yeah. They're so good. They're Chrome team. It's really interesting because I've been I've been browsing about Flash for about a year now, and with like a click to play thing mm-hmm. that wasn't the native one, so it never got overridden. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating the places you find Flash. Mm. Like you get to a random login place, and hang on, there's like a Flash click to play hidden right at the bottom of the corner of the screen. Oh, What really? the hell's that? <laughs> yeah, like it, it's all over the shop. You'll just randomly find chunks of little bits of flash. Obviously, someone's doing something like uh, I think my favorite one is Verified by Visa actually Uh-oh. tries to load no. a flash plugin. Yeah.
3: I think it was like probably six months ago, but I was flying JetBlue and I tried to get to their website on my mobile phone. And yeah, they their whole thing was
4: like built in Flash. I was like blown. Away. That was so bad. HBO so bad. Go just recently switched from a Flash only website to like HTML5. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's nick of time. That's yeah. what I was saying. <laughs> yeah.
2: Very very quick side note on my favorite Flash one I had last week. For those of you who don't know what PCI DSS is, the <laughs> industry standard for credit card uh, monitoring, no. I, fa- right, I have fill one of those out every year of uh, my vendor. Their website only works in Flash still. Uh, yeah. At least it's True not story. IE
3: only. Like that used to be before it only works in Flash. That's what it used to be. It's like you must yeah. load this in
0: IE. Yeah. Well, at least, you know, Video.js is now no longer contributing to the well, will soon no longer be contributing to the flash problem.
4: <laughs> yeah.
0: But as we as we're moving, as as 6.0 comes out as as these things, you know, as we get this middleware accessibility improvements, advanced plugins and flash dies, what is the next big thing? Like what? What do you guys think is like the what is the seven point push?
4: Well, middleware I think would still be a big thing because it's brand new now, and I think by the time seven point will actually have a much greater idea of the power of middleware. Yeah, and I know Gary brought this up
3: when we were talking about this beforehand, but I think one of the big pushes for us for 2017 will be figuring out how we're going to tackle this whole like media source extensions adaptive streaming world in videojs we have projects to do it so we have videojs contrib dash which plays back dash video and contrib hls which plays back hls and the question is like is is the world in a place now where you know not having that be part of videojs we're missing today's problem Right, yeah, which is playing
4: you know more advanced video formats. There so. Currently, several projects, and the question is, like, should we ship them with video JS? Mm-hmm. It seems like the world is moving towards yes, because it seems the uh, adaptive streaming formats are becoming so popular, and people more and more are starting to expect, like, I want to grab a player, and I just want it to play any format I give it. Hmm. Yeah.
3: Yeah, wait. That's a lot of humming, Steve. Do you have
1: some thoughts on that? <laughs> no, I, th- I think it. I think it makes sense. It's, it's, you know, it's always a, a tough call, like which which features to include and which which to not. Right, and like one of the lines that we always drew was: does the video element support this thing? Right. If right. the video element supports this, then we should for- support this in both HTML five and Flash, and then everything else on top of that should be a plugin. You know, we didn't follow that exactly, but that was that was the mantra. Right.
3: Yep. I always like that mantra. Still do. Yeah. Yeah. But this one is really funny because it's like, well, it sort of does, and it sort of doesn't. So yeah, some of (laughs) them. uh,
1: Yeah. Some browsers do support those, like yeah, you know, like Safari supports HLS, Edge supports dash. You know, you could make a, a, you know, and HLS. Mm-hmm. NHLS, yeah. So you can you can make a strong argument there, I feel like.
3: Well and I also think like um the other like interesting problem that's happening is if you look at any of the libraries that do adaptive streaming now, they're all kind of fiddling around with the idea of just supporting like essentially any segmented media format that <laughs> you can write a manifest parser for. Yeah, they're and, all kind of converging on all of the merged into one thing. And, <laughs> yeah, which which actually is awesome, right? Like, oh my I can't even think of a time well, maybe like back when we were always doing FMS, but like it's hard for me to remember a time where like it was like one video format, and, like everything just worked. But uh, <laughs> it almost seems like there's like a very glacial movement towards let's just use fragmented MP4s in you know reasonable yeah. segment sizes, and we'll figure out some text file to specify them, and maybe it's the magical work at MPEG Sash, right? Um,
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: And uh, and then that'll just work. And um, you could actually, you know, write like a reasonably sized library that does that, and it wouldn't be an explosion to video JS to
0: include it, right? So it sounds like you heard it here first. The next big initiative for video JS is impact Sash. I'm
4: I'm fairly certain that's what we do. <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> He's already, already done it. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing I think we need to look at is custom builds of video JS because mm. of i hearing more and more people who, they want video VideoJS, but they don't care about captions at all. Or they oh, want they Video... Should. I mean, they should. <laughs> but Or they want video VideoJS, but the way they're implementing it, they're never going to need a control bar or any of the UI stuff. And so it'll be nice to look into being able to provide custom builds so the user can build, okay, want to include these components. Because... If you want VideoJS for like the plugins and the text, but you don't need the control bar, the control bar makes actually probably the majority, the UI components make the majority of the file size of VideoJS, and so you could slim down your deploy quite a bit if you
0: didn't need that. I've I've actually been thinking a lot that it would be cool to to pull core out of VideoJS and have that as be a because then you could use that in like, things like web components or React components and kind of build. Have everything
4: be plugins? Yep. Yeah. That uh, is actually something that we we're thinking with middleware because and the advanced plugins. Because the way the middleware works is that you register a factory method that when called, it takes a player. And then when the source is set, the middleware gets the tech. So the middleware gets both the player and the tech. And then with the new advanced plugins, which have more lifecycle events, you could, using middleware, you could add stuff to the tech, more functionality, say, attach a source handler or something like that. And then on the player side, add a plugin that adds the corresponding functionality as an API to users. And so, theoretically, most of the things in VideoJS could be pulled out into plugins and middleware. Hmm. Plugins all the way down. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe that'll be seven. Have everything be plugins.
0: But you just like skip to, like version like, just do uh do it like React style and just like jump to like version eighteen or something at that point. So. Yeah,
3: six hundred. The core becomes an empty file. That's how it <laughs> <is> empty. <laughs> it's it's always been our dream.
0: Uh, easily maintainable, but. Uh, the, 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 yeah, oh god, the, yeah. Everything we just moved to the grunt file at that point, but uh,
4: <laughs> oh god, switching to
0: vanilla JS. <laughs> no, <laughs> oh, stop. all right, we've run up on our time at this point, so I just wanted to say thank you, Gary and David. If you guys, if anybody out there has a very specific burning question around Flash, uh, gcatsev and dmlap on the issue tracker, <laughs> uh,
4: not around Flash. Actually, man. just come to our Slack. Uh, oh yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah com yep. or
0: go to the issue tracker and just repeatedly mention them and plus one issues
2: <laughs> until you get what you want. At <laughs> MMCC
4: yeah.
2: at F also works. Be sure to ask about the positioning of the play button. No. I really love that. I will tirade.
0: No. <laughs> we haven't
3: talked about that one. Next yet. episode.
0: <laughs> uh, Okay. Well, anyway, thank you so much, everybody. I really appreciate you guys joining from Boston, and of course, Phil from from London. But you're here every week or every uh, every episode. So every week.
4: Every
0: <laughs> week. <laughs> yeah, now it's it a is a weekly show. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, thank you, and everybody. And again, if you have any questions, make sure to email us uh, info at demux dot com or hit us up on Twitter at demux. All right. Talk to you soon that's all we have for today but as always we'd love to hear what you thought even if you disagree so please reach out on twitter at
2: demuxed to learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com and while you're there be sure to check out their library it's packed with amazing talks on sales marketing product and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders